Live. Okay, or recording. All right. Hey, welcome everybody to episode 41 of the Doctrines of Rad podcast. You guys would see that I am uh, sans Logan tonight, uh, but I've replaced him with a fellow uh, really good-looking bald man, I, I must say myself, uh, of all of the, the people that I could bring on. Uh, I've got a special guest. His name is Shane Heilman. And uh, he has uh, an awesome project that I think that you guys need to know about. And I recently discovered it myself. It's called The Psalms Project, uh, and it's available on Spotify and I assume other places. And I'll let Shane kind of take over and explain where all you can find it. But essentially, uh, and Shane, please uh, feel free to correct me, but he is uh, he and his wife, and I believe I would assume some other folks maybe are involved in taking all of the Psalms from the Bible and putting them to modern music. And mm -hmm. it's a variety of music. It's not just uh, operatic or it's not just slow, uh, relaxing music. It, there, is some, uh, there is some rock, there is some folk sound, there is uh, just a, a huge... Uh, vast genre of music that uh, that they make their uh, that they take the psalms and and put it to. So Shane, um, you, the floor is yours. Please uh, introduce your project. Yeah, thanks, Drew. Thanks for having me on too. It's really an honor to be on. So uh, yeah, so my name's Shane, and our thing is called the Psalms Project. That's the artist name of the project. So if you're looking for the project, the artist name is the Psalms Project. And so far, uh, we've put the first, we've released the first 46 psalms to music in their entirety. So that's kind of the idea I got back in the day was let's put entire psalms to music in a way that is fully produced, uh, modern, but also artful. So let's not just have the same melody throughout the song, regardless of what's happening in the song, but let's kind of let the psalm speak. Let's put the power of music behind each section. Let's put it in different movements and kind of be you know, maybe more innovative with song structure just to kind of follow the psalm instead of trying to always squish them into a, you know, a modern format. So that was kind of the idea was let's just sing the psalms and see where they take us musically and try to put the best music and musicians behind it that we can. So, so far we've released the first 46 psalms to music, but we've also put out 91 and 121. Uh, wow. I just wrote those out of order for various reasons. So, and I've written through Psalm 61. So I've completed the song, the songs through 61. And right now we're in the midst of recording volume six, which for us is Psalms 47 through 55. So that's the group I'm working on right now in the studio. So, and we recently successfully crowdfunded that album uh, for, by God's grace. So we, uh, we now have, you know, a worldwide audience. And wow. so that's what we're doing is uh, we're putting entire Psalms to music the very best we can. And you mentioned like, are there other people involved? Uh, yes, there's a lot of people involved. So uh, there's myself, my wife, which I'm sure you saw. And so far on this project, a total of, I think we're over 80 musicians now that have wow. contributed to the project. I mean, I have a core group I work with, maybe like this, you know, 10 or 15 that work on it a lot. But um, overall, 80 different people have been involved, whether that's recording tracks um, record, you know, or um, putting down instrumentals or whatever. So, I mean, that's not a that's not a minor undertaking. I mean, that is a that is yeah. a massive, massive project. Um, what before before you got to the point uh, where you started to work on the Psalm, the Psalms project, what was uh, what was your musical background before that? Have you been a recording artist? Were you were you writing and, and producing anything prior? Yeah, so my musical story really starts when I was 17 years old. Um, I really wasn't involved with music till I was about 17, and it really coincided with my walk as a Christian. So I was raised mm -hmm. Catholic, um, pretty pretty nominally Catholic, I'd say. I mean, my my parents were were devoted and wanted me to to learn the Catholic faith, but I, you know, just didn't know the Lord, didn't really understand it, um, had a fear of God for sure, but just mm. the whole thing kind of felt distant and I didn't really grasp it. And then when I was 17, I was invited to a retreat called Teens Encounter Christ. And that was where I heard the gospel for the first time and just wow. really rocked me. Just this whole idea that Jesus paid for our sins and we don't have to pay for it ourselves. That just completely rocked my world and just fell in love with the Lord, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, just really a pretty dramatic conversion, I'd say, from I'm not sure who God is and he feels distant to, oh, I really love him now. You know, it was wow, just a yeah. real turnaround. And around that time, it was the same time, I just had this huge compulsion to play guitar. 
so I picked up guitar. Uh, so it really did coincide with me being filled with the Holy Spirit. So maybe there's something to that, you know? It was yeah. kind of like, God's like, you, you will do this now. I'm like, it was really a compulsion. Like I couldn't not do it. It's very strange. But um, so at that point, met some friends at school who also wanted to play music. And we formed a Christian alt-rock band. Uh, okay. You know, very much in the vein. I think mostly we wanted to be the next Jars of Clay, I think. So that was kind oh, of nice. my background. <laughs> you know, I, we were huge, like Toad the Wet Sprocket fans. I'm a huge, like, child of the 90s. So, like, 90s yeah. rock, you know, Toad the Wet Sprocket, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana. First song I learned was Come As You Are by Nirvana. So that's where I came from. But then we wanted to be, you know, a Christian rock band that did, like, artful alt-rock music, you know, like the 90s. So that's what we did. And we had some success. Uh, you know, we wrote some songs, toured a little bit. We actually had, you know, a fan base. We were making money. We got our own bus. We were touring the Midwest. Like it was really fun. We had kind of a hit song, kind of a, obviously it wasn't a national hit, but kind of a low key hit. And so it really gave us a taste of like, wow, we could do this. You know, this is, this is awesome. So it was a really fun time. But then uh, we uh, decided to move to Nashville. That is myself and the lead singer. So when that happened, the band broke up. And then we kind of tried to make it in Nashville, but you know, in Nashville, the band broke up. And so I was really kind of left at that point. I was 25 years old living in Nashville. Didn't really know what I was going to do next. Um, And so at that time I really got into worship leading in the local church. And that kind of felt like this is going to be my calling now. Like I'm just going to lead worship in the local church and um, just be faithful to the Lord and just lead people in worship and really enjoyed that really felt like I found my, you know, my calling there, or at least a significant part of my, my calling. And then, um, yeah, then a few years into that, just got this idea for the Psalms project. And I think that came out of worship leading just as I was leading worship more and more, I just kept, cause I led worship in a church that was, you know, I would call it charismatic in a lot of sure. ways. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of Hillsong, a lot of those kinds of things being played. Yeah. So I was in that kind of musical culture. But, you know, I had a passion for the word of God. And I think I just kept on gravitating more and more toward more biblical worship music as I led worship, because I saw that's where the fruit was. That's where the power was. That's where the the edification was. And it was a very young church that needed the word of God, you know, um, in a lot of ways, because a lot of young, passionate Christians, but weren't really grounded in the word. Mm -hmm. So I really felt like I could bring that. So I think the Psalms Project idea kind of came forth from that was let's try to sing more scripture in our, in our worship songs. But then as I started to write these Psalm songs, I realized, well, a lot of these aren't really congregational. They're kind of weird. You know, they kind of came out weird, but I liked that. I liked that they were different and they didn't Mm. sound like everything else. So that's kind of my background as a musician. I picked up guitar at 17, started a band and then ended up a down and out Nashville musician wondering what's next. And that's when I started leading worship and that kind of led to the Psalms project. So that's, that's the story. That's the short version of the story. Do you have any um, any kind of non-mainstream bands that you are uh, a current fan of that are that that seem to influence uh, your your creative process? Yeah, I mean, my influences Christian-wise, I think Rich Mullins was always a big one. Um, really was into Rich Mullins stuff when I was a young Christian musician. Um, just appreciated his, you know, the strength of his lyrics. You know, the the poetic uh, strength of his lyrics which influenced me to go into the Psalms because um, for that reason, and actually another Christian artist I've really enjoyed um, for various reasons is Sarah Groves. Uh, she had a big oh, impact sure. on me as well. Um, I don't listen, you know, there's a lot of people I used to listen to a lot and was really influenced by like Jason Upton. He was a huge influence for a while. Um, you know, theologically, I don't think I mesh with Sarah Groves and Jason Upton anymore. Um, right. Not even sure if I would have mesh, how much I would have mesh with, with Rich Mullins. I always wonder what would Rich Mullins, you know, think about today you know what i mean what would he be where would he be at but um yeah so i was influenced like musically by those artists but i mean as far as today um i listen to you know i listen to brian sauvet i love his stuff um who does the psalms and yeah. i listen to you know like stuff like you know like sovereign grace you know all the you know shane and shane i love shane and shane even though they even don't with totally the, love, do- the controversy uh with bethel recently yeah i mean i obviously that's that that's unfortunate um yeah. but um you know, I, I have, I mean, I, 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 I'm not sure where I, where I fall on that. I mean, I, I don't agree with it. Like I, I, sure. I would not do that, but at the same time, um, I would like to give them a chance to, of you course. know, say something about it before I comment on it. But what I was really going to dig them about is that they don't sing the entire Psalms. So like, I love Shane and Shane, 
But like they really, you know, we do the Psalm Shane and Shane. Of course, I'm a Shane too. So I'm like, I reached out to them so many times, like, let's do Shane Cubed. Um, I haven't gotten their attention yet, but maybe, maybe down the road we will. But but yeah, I love uh, you know, I just love like the biblical type worship music. I think that's really what Christians are hungering for nowadays, especially when most of the popular stuff um, you know, comes from, you know, let's just say, um, you know, questionable theology and sources, you know, and so Absolutely. that's a real obviously a huge issue nowadays. So and that wasn't an issue nearly as much when I started this thing 10, 12 years ago, but it's an issue now. And so, you know, we're obviously filling a void that I didn't even realize would be there, you know, to 10, yeah. 15 years ago. So. No, and I've, I've seen that as well. Um, I've seen kind of that shift. Uh, I got saved around 2001. That was a big, mm-hmm. uh, a big time for like Darlene check uh, mm-hmm. around that, that realm of, of worship type music. Um, sure. and, uh, I've, I've, I've seen a shit, you know, I'm, I try not to be, I try not to be too, um, too callous towards a lot of the, the worship, uh, uh, bands out there, Christian bands out there. Uh, you know, I, I, I will say I'm guilty of, of, of rocking out to, uh, a few of, of elevation songs and, and, you know, uh, I kind of try to look at it as a, you know, what does this say about God and, uh, does this help me to magnify the Lord when I listen to it. Um, and there are, there are obviously clear examples of things that are just unscriptural that I can't enjoy. You know, when I hear right. the, um, you know, there's a, a line in one song and I forget the name of the song, but uh, it, it says you didn't want heaven without us. So you brought heaven down. It, it's kind of a weird lyric. Um, you know, I get it. And, and, and I'm not going to make a big stink or fuss about it. And, and of course, you know, as I'm sure you've seen on, on Twitter, you can't really do anything as a Christian without somebody uh, having yep. a problem with it, no matter what it is, yep. uh, even mm-hmm. if it has the best intentions. So, um, well, that's really, that's really cool. I can tell it, it's funny. I didn't really, I assumed that you were around my generation of music, just, just in the, in what I hear in the Psalms project songs. Right. Um, there's, there's such a, a, an influence of, of the artists that you mentioned and, uh, and definitely that time frame where music felt like it could be, it could be different, but also powerful. And that's what I found with mm-hmm. listening to, to your music has been, you know, it, it, it doesn't always sound like, uh, a, a standard song that you would hear on the radio, but when you when you really take the time to to hear the way that you move the song based on the the mm. lyrics and what you're trying to convey, um, it there's there's just even more beauty in that because um, mm. you know not everything rhymes, and that's got to mm-hmm. be a challenge. So let's talk about that a little bit. How do you overcome some of the uh, traditional music writing um, tropes? Uh, when you're when you're putting together a song uh, that is a psalm, yeah, yeah, great question. Um, so I think my main approach is I just want the melody we write for these lines to really fit the lines. Because when you write melody, there are ways to emphasize certain words or to um, you know to to ma- have the melody somehow mirror you know the feeling, the emotion of the, even the theology of the words. So just for an example, if the first line of the song is, you know, Lord, so many have risen up against me, then, um, you know, this, how are you going to sing that? Well, obviously it's a complaint. So we got to keep that in mind. And so trying mm-hmm. to just kind of artfully match that. And so actually it actually made songwriting easier and harder because easier in the sense that, okay, I don't have to squeeze this into a verse chorus verse structure. We can just go where it goes. And I really enjoyed that songwriting challenge. Um, Obviously, it can be a temptation sometimes to like, oh, we've got this great chorus. Let's try to let's try to squish this in, into, you know, something that's going to be on the radio. But at the same time, I mean, you gotta you just gotta let the words speak. And so, my with the first album, like Volume One, Psalms One Through Ten, I had no expectation that anybody was going to hear this. It was like a local church really? pet project. I mean, I thought maybe it'll get out there and people will, will will enjoy it. I mean, obviously, I thought it was it was good. I thought it was well done. But I didn't think it'd be a, you know, a worldwide smash and certainly didn't think I'd be doing this for a living 15 years later, which I am. So, But when I first made it, I was kind of like, I wanted it intentionally to be weird. I was almost trying to be weird. I was like, I'm going to do some, what I, the revision I really had, Drew, was 
I, I really wanted to make Christian music to where you're listening to it and you're just taking in the, the lyrics and you don't really know where it's going to go next. I like yes. that surprise element of it, where it's like after yes. this section, like, whoa, I didn't expect this to happen next because that's that's the Psalms. You're listening, you're reading the psalm, you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't see wow. that coming next. So I wanted the music to mirror that in a lot of ways. So I really enjoyed that freedom to just let, okay, here's the next movement. This is what it is. This is what we're going to sing. This is what we're going to portray. And it really took those shackles off of like, it's got to be like this. It's got to be with this beat. It's got to be with this arrangement. Got to be verse chorus. So I love that in a way. The big challenge of it, though, is that it's not in a traditional verse chorus verse format. And probably the, the hardest thing about doing this is that you've got this great melody in place. You've got this great structure. Everything's falling together. Well, like, you know, you've got this, this verse that really sets the tone. Then you got this pre-chorus that's escalating the, the emotion. Then you get to this killer chorus, but you know what the problem is? There's this extra line in there that just doesn't fit. You know what I mean? There's like an extra verse in there. It's like, Oh, there's an extra verse in there. How are we going to squeeze that in there and not mess up this whole, you know, beautiful line we've got going on. That's the, that's the biggest challenge is trying to, to, to work through those kinds of things because sometimes you want it. Sometimes it's like, Oh, this is so close to like really being a really catchy song. Problem is that's not what it says. We've got to change it. So, you know, yeah, I was going to say there's, there's gotta, there's gotta be this, this temptation, or at least I, I would think if I were undergoing this project there, I feel like I would have these temptations to, uh, to want to go and, and try to repeat back things. If you find the right hook or the right, uh, you know, the, the perfect uh, timing for a chorus, uh, I would I would feel like, well, maybe I could just go back and repeat that and that can be the thing of the song. But you're, you're trying to, like, you're legitimately trying to stay true to the psalm mm-hmm. itself and not add anything right. uh, of your own, you know, I mean, you're adding so much of your own creativity just in the the composition of it. But um, to try to like to to have to have that barrier for yourself to say no, like no matter how much I think that this would really like go off and and be uh, such a spectacular moment, like I I have to mm-hmm. stay true. So like, so how do right. you um how has that? Well, I guess before I get to that, I as you were talking, I, I felt like this must have been an experience for you to really um, digest and go deeper into the Psalms because uh, I mean, I'm just thinking from a perspective of someone who just reads the Psalms, you know, it's one thing to kind of read it. And then it's, there's another thing to when you can understand the backdrop of the Psalm and what it was saying Mm -hmm. and who it was to, there's an element there um, what are some things for you that you have found as you've been exploring this that has um, magnified the Psalms to you or, or or at least caused you to see it in a light that you hadn't seen it previously? Yeah, so it is a totally different experience. You're right. Studying a Psalm in depth, which I, which I do. Um, I study the Psalms in several. I, when I'm writing a Psalm, I study it in several commentaries before putting it to music because I really want to make sure you're understanding, you know, background, context so that you're not reading a verse and thinking, oh, it must be doing this when it's really doing this, you know? So you don't right. want to, don't, I don't miss those things and embarrass myself in front of the whole world. So, or, or at least in front of the few scholars who are going to listen to it. Right. So, um, cause if something gets really big, you know, our, us Christians, you know, we Christians will, will tear it apart if it's wrong. Oh, yeah, so, um, so, and I, that's good. I mean, I know in a way, I mean, I want to, I want to get it right. So, so I studied it in several commentaries and, you know, I have this experience always, like I'll read the Psalm. Like you said, I'll just give it a cursory reading. You know, I'm just starting a new Psalm. So I'll read it and I'll read it again. And my first thought honestly is how is this ever going to be a good song? Like, how am I going to put this oh, to wow. music in a way that's really good? Because, you know, you just don't see it right away. You're kind of like, okay, that's a lot of words. And there's some, there's some stuff in there that, that hit me, but I don't know what this means. I don't know what this means. And I don't see how it all fits together at all. Like, I just don't see it. But then you study it in a commentary and you're like, whoa, like this was happening in David's life and he reacted like this or wait, whoa, this means this. Um, Just for a couple examples, like real quick, a really great example would be like Psalm 54, short Psalm, six verses. And it's one of the 14 Psalms that tells us exactly what was happening in David's life when it went down. So what's happening in David's life, I believe um, it might be. 
I think I got the context right. I believe it's when he's hiding from Saul and he's in the wilderness of Ziph. So these okay. people have just basically ratted him out to Saul. He went hiding in Ziph and then the Ziphites, instead of covering for David, you know, they went and told on him to Saul. Mm. So basically, and that's that story. It's an amazing story, actually, where David's like, he's running around the mountain and Saul's running around the mountain. He's going to catch him. But then yeah. some kind of battle somewhere else pulls Saul away. And mm. Saul doesn't catch David, even though he's like, this is as close as he comes to getting caught. He's right on his tail, right? So just there, that context will completely change your experience of reading oh, yeah. the psalm. Because if David is literally running for his life and getting this close to getting caught, and this is his prayer while he's running for his life and this close to getting caught after he's been ratted out and it's not looking good, right? Mm, wow. So how does he react? So this is a, and Psalm 54 is a great example because it's a very typical Psalm pattern. I see this pattern really often in the Psalms. It's more of a lament Psalm pattern because obviously the Psalms have just a wide, wide variety of topics. I mean, that was really surprising to me studying through them, just how different they all are. Because again, if you read them, just read them, you know, they can start, kind of all start sounding the same, but then you yes. dig into them and like, they, they are not the same. Like the the uh, the message and the focus and the theology it's widely different um, for for the Psalms so that was really surprising but anyway this is the pattern in Psalm fifty four and it's a really great example of this pattern you see over and over and over again in the Psalms uh, verse one David just lays out his complaint um, oh God save me by your name vindicate me by your might so it's just a very general prayer God save me you know he's praying for salvation. And then, in, then it goes into, uh, he, uh, he describes his situation. So the second stage you see in a psalm is David kind of lays out his complaint, right? He kind of just details what's going on. He says, uh, ruthless men are chasing me. Ruthless men seek my life. They don't set God before themselves. So David's kind of like telling God what's happening, which seems kind of strange because like obviously God knows what's happening. Of course. But obviously that's a it's a really good model for us. It's a really good thing for us to do to tell God what's happening because it helps us process our thoughts, helps us process the situation to him. And it definitely helps David because as soon as he lays out his complaint and tells God what's going on, it's almost like David gets this realization that this isn't a big deal. <laughs> it's like, he lays it out. He's like, oh wait, like this isn't a problem because wow. you're God over the And so the next section David goes into is usually one of confidence, right? Where he just declares truth. He declares what he knows is true. He declares the word of God over his situation. So again, he starts with God, save me by your name, vindicate me by your might. And then he goes into ruthless men are going after me. Uh, ruthless men are chasing me. They don't set God before themselves. They don't fear God. Then he says, behold, Elohim is my help. Adonai sustains my life. And it's just a side note. I love how in Psalm 54, it's all about God's name. Because at the beginning, he says, God, save me by your name. And in the psalm, he uses three different names for God. He calls him Elohim. He calls him Adonai. And then at the end, he calls him the personal name Yahweh. We'll get to that. Wow. So it's really interesting how he uses these different names for God. He says, Elohim is my help. Adonai sustains my life. So he's declaring truth. Again, he's like, no, this is the truth. God's my helper. He sustains my life. Um, and then he goes into, after the section of confidence, at this point, he kind of goes into this like declaration that this is what's going to happen. And this is how I'm going to praise God when he delivers me. So this section of almost like, God, this is, this is how I'm going to worship you. He's almost, he's pretty much worshiping God for the outcome before it comes. He's so confident that God's going to come through. Man. So by the end, he's like, um, you know, I'll sacrifice to you with a free will offering with a sacrifice of praise. This is when I'm delivered. Basically. He's like in your faithfulness, put an end to them. So he gives another prayer, like God just, put an end to them, wipe them out. Then I'll give you praise. I'll sacrifice peace offerings to you. I'll praise your name, your name. I'll praise your name, O Yahweh, for it is good. And uh, because I have been delivered from my enemies. So typical Psalm structure is David um, gives his core prayer, lays out his complaint, section of confidence. And of course these can repeat. Sometimes he goes complaint, confidence, complaint, confidence, complaint, confidence. But he almost always, I think pretty much every time, the only exception, I think, is Psalm 88. That is the only Psalm I'm aware of that doesn't end with like rapturously joyful worship. Like mm. almost every Psalm, if you read the Psalms carefully, almost every one of them where David's in trouble, he ends it with like the supreme confidence, the supreme hope, the supreme faith, and just ecstatic worship. And then you look back at the situation he's in and it's amazing where he ends up. Amazing. Yeah. 
Because at the end of Psalm 54, he's like, he's just, he's just worshiping, you know? And, you know, he was despairing a few verses earlier. Now he's worshiping. Same thing in Psalm 13 starts at how long, O Lord, um, you know, will you forget me forever? And then six verses later, it says, I will sing to the Lord for he has dealt bountifully with me. He's just worshiping yeah. at the end, you know? Yeah. Um, I could go through example after example after example. Psalm 3, uh, that's the psalm where Absalom, that's where Absalom has chased David out of the temple. I mean, it's like the one of the saddest scenes of the whole Old Testament. David's just... Mm throwing dust in his head. He's going up this hill. He's just been, he's lost his son, his job and his house in the same day. You know, he's lost everything. And what does he say? He says, God, so many have risen up against me. But And then what does he say next? He says, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And the rest of the song is just confidence and worship. He just knows that God's going to turn this around because that's what God does. And that's the covenant he's in with God. He's in this covenant with God and if God's going to be faithful to his word, which he will, then he's going to be faithful to his covenant. And the covenant is, if you walk in my ways, if you put your trust in me, then I'm going to, your enemies are going to flee before you and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to lift you up. And David distrusted that and he just went with that. So anyway, um, that's a long way of saying over and over again in the Psalms, you see David in a situation where like Psalm 34, Psalm 57, that's when he's in the cave. He's living in a cave, hiding out in a cave. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not a happy situation. Right. Look at the, and the end of Psalm 57, he's just worshiping. He's like, awake my glory. I'll awaken the dawn. I'm going to awaken the dawn worshiping you. And then, um, you know, what's the verse from Psalm 57? Um, uh, you know, uh, your glory above the heavens, your reaches to the sky, something like that. He says, um, what is that? I can't, I'm drawing a blank on Psalm 57. What's that refrain in Psalm 57? Oh boy, um, you're gonna, I can't you're think of it. I can't, spot. <laughs> I can't think of it right now, but the idea is like, oh yeah, um, be exalted, oh God, above the heavens, let your glory be over all the earth. So I love that even in that situation, that's very personal to David, right? Very yeah. personal suffering. Sure. His concern is for God's glory over all the earth. So when David's asking for deliverance, he's not just saying, God, make my day better. He's saying, God, by your deliverance of me, glorify your name in all the earth. Show people that you are a God of your word and that you do deliver your people and that you do judge the wicked. So it's a very global viewpoint David has on righteousness and wickedness. So yeah. anyway, I could go on and on, but that's 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 one thing I definitely take away from the Psalms is God's sovereignty Amen. and just David's faith and confidence. I mean, in situations way worse than probably, you know, I've ever faced. Sure. He is so confident. He's so joyful. He's so full of hope and faith and life, and he yeah. is absolutely ecstatic with worship. He's full of joy in the midst of situations where that would seem impossible. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I mean, I I, I certainly wish uh, and 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 pray to be like that in 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 the stages of my life mm -hmm. when when it feels like the the world is crumbling around me. Uh, I know you know my human response is going to be to worry and have anxiety and fret, but. Here you have uh, the king of Israel that is just uh, magnifying the Lord. I mean, and what's so compelling about David is he he had everything that a man would want. I mean, in, in many cases, when it came to the power and the riches and just everything at his disposal, and yet he mm -hmm. just diverted all of that praise to God. Uh, mm -hmm. And it's just, it's so, uh, it's very humbling because I, I know you know, in, in my, um, very probably easy life compared, uh, I can find mm -hmm. little things to complain about and, and try to, uh, try to fix it myself and try not to, to bring it to the yep. Lord and, and praise him for Absolutely. it. So, mm -hmm. um, so your, your wife is involved in this. Um, how was she initially on board or was this a process in which you were kind of like, I've got this idea, this is what I want to do. And, and, uh, I'd like you to be a part of it. Or was, did you find that maybe, uh, you knew that you, you needed to have a, a different voice for certain Psalms as you were reading those and have a, you know, a different feel or sound. How was, how did that come about? Yeah. So my friend, John DeGroat, who really was instrumental in green lighting the first project. I mean, he basically, he was the worship leader at my church. Okay. And he was the one who said, yeah, I think this is a really promising project. You know, we're going to, the church is going to give you the funding to make this album. So this whole thing probably doesn't happen without John DeGroat, right? He just believed in it. Wow. And he, his suggestion to me though, is he said, but here's what I think you should do. I think you should have a different singer on every song 
because oh. I think it'll be much more effective that way because it'll give each psalm its own voice in a sense, you know. And then also he was just being honest. He's like, I don't think people will want to listen to the same voice like on every single psalm song all the way through. You know, I mean, I don't have, you know, I, I have, I mean, I have a voice, but it's not, you know, anything that anyone would go like, wow, that's like the most amazing voice I've ever heard. It's a voice and God gave it to me and I praise God for it. But I mean, I'm not, I know I'm not the world's best singer. And we were in a community of musicians where we had mm. amazing vocalists. So I was the 15th or 20th best vocalist in my oh, wow. musical community. Yeah. So, um, and some songs I've sung mostly because they're just really, really long and hard to learn. So I'm just like, I'm just going to do it because I'm not going to make anyone else go through this. Gotcha. But um, like Psalm 18, which is like 13 and a half minutes long. But um, anyway, <laughs> so um, that was the idea was let's put a different lead vocalist in each song. And the whole vision from the beginning has been, let's just, you know, I don't care who gets the credit. I don't care who's doing the vocals. I don't care who's doing the guitar. Let's just make this the very best we can. Let's make this a testimony to the body of Christ and the variety Amen. of gifts. And let's make this a testimony to the glory of God. I think it was, I don't know who said it, but you know, it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. Amen. And so that's kind of the, that's kind of That'll the vision preach. I had with this. Yeah. That's the vision I had was, you know what? I don't care if anyone knows my name. I just want these songs to be the very best that they can be with the resources we have. Wow. And so it was, then it kind of, kind of became a casting director. Like let's pair up the songs with the vocalist that's going to fit best with this. Okay. And for the most part, that's worked out really, really well. It's worked out really, really well, actually. So that's kind of funny of the vision. So with each new album, we've had a different lead singer on every psalm. And we've had the same singers back several times. But on each album, yeah. there's not the same singer twice. Right. And so I think that's been a real strength. It's given a lot of variety to the songs. And it's, it's obviously put much better vocalists than myself on the project. So my wife's just one of them. She's a fantastic vocalist. So she was kind of a great fit for some of the songs. Well, you really and are so, too, man. Don't discredit well, yourself. Thanks, your, your vocals are pretty awesome too. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate that. So, um, and yeah, you just want to find the right fit. You know, like, I mean, I'm just never, ever going to sing Psalm 4 as well as Melissa Breams. It's just not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So let's put her on it. You know, that was kind of the thinking. So, and so that was the vision behind that. And as far as my wife goes, you know, she was always supportive. She was always, you know, on board with me doing this. I think part of her saw that, he's going to do it regardless. Like he's just, you can't stop him. Cause it sure. really did become, like I said, that compulsion. Like I really felt this compulsion to do it and mm -hmm. I really couldn't stop. Um, wow. It was just, I just, I love it so much. It's, it's so much fun. It's such a great challenge and I just feel like I'm supposed to be doing it. So I just keep doing it. And so I think she recognized that early on that like she was going to have to find a way to accommodate it, even though, but at the time we started, I mean, I'm not going to lie. It wasn't easy. I mean, we had small kids. Um, I think when I recorded volume one, we had actually, yeah, we recorded volume one. We had three kids already. And it was like the hardest stage there is, I think, is when you have two toddlers and a newborn. Like it doesn't get any, you know, because neither of them can help with the baby. <laughs> and you're just like, right. you're outnumbered. Like that was the toughest stage was, you know, four-year-old, two-year-old and an infant. Like that was, that's, that's wild, Goodness. you know? Yeah. And that was when I started this whole thing. So I'm like away for whole weekends in the studio. And there were definitely days where she did not like, you know, did not like the idea. And I can't blame her, you know, because it's like I'm a high school teacher. I was a high school English teacher at the time. Okay. And, you know, I'm a high school English teacher. I'm doing these Psalms. I'm traveling and meeting with musicians and going in the studio. There are definitely nights where I'm thinking like, what am I doing? Like, this oh, wow. is crazy. You know, and there's nights where I'm coming back from the studio. I'm like fired up, like we had a great day. And she's like. I don't know if I can do this next like, weekend. My day has been rough. <laughs> it's like my day, are... <laughs> my weekend was not fun. You know what I mean? Right, but yeah. you know, she, uh, she never tried to get me to quit. She never, you know, she always encouraged me. So she was supportive. I know it wasn't easy for her, but yeah. you know, she's obviously, uh, you know, probably one of the biggest reason, uh, you know, besides the Lord that uh, this thing has kept going because, you know, she could have, she could have done a lot to, you know, if she would have like begged me to quit, I would have quit probably. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe I wouldn't have, but um, it would have been really, really hard. Would have been on, a conversation to have for sure. <laughs> and it was a conversation several times. There were definitely yeah. times where I thought like, I probably should just quit because this is crazy. But wow. um, Praise it, God I think you didn't. Thanks, man. Fairly early on, I think she started to see the fruit, you know, and she started to see that it was actually sustaining itself. I think by our third album, you know, the project was self-sustaining. 
So at least it wasn't costing us thousands of dollars. That's always wow. good. Yeah, um, and I think, and there certainly were points where she was like, okay, we've, we've got something here, you know, you need to do this. So it did, that it did eventually come around at first. It was like, okay, I'll accommodate my husband's weird, you know, rock and roll dreams. Um, and, but then eventually it turned into, no, this is our ministry. This is our life. And so that was kind of like a, a process obviously, but you know, my wife has always been super supportive and I, I praise God for it. Yeah, just to get somebody on. I mean, it, it's so important, uh, and it's, it's really a blessing when, uh, when a husband and wife can be on the same accord uh, with a ministry um, thing like that. I mean, I, I can't, I couldn't fathom uh, where there would be strife and contention if you feel led to do this thing, and uh, and then you just you know that you you know it it's not. Uh, making home happy and and home happy is important too, especially as a man of God, you know, we're called to lead our our family. We're called to provide for them and, and um, make them feel secured and loved. And so if you were taking all of your time away and your wife wasn't on board to support, I mean, the the product just wouldn't, it wouldn't be as good uh, because there would always be a piece of you that wasn't there. That was, uh, you know, longing or Mm -hmm. or, or hoping for something different. So what has it been? What is it? Uh, what's it like now? I mean, I would I would guess, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but as the um, the volumes came into fruition, I would assume that more people became aware of what you were doing with the Psalms Project. Uh, have you have you had an outpouring of people saying, "Hey, like I want to be involved in this. Please, like, what can I do to help?" Or 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 do you still feel like it's like you know, pull on strings sometimes to get people on board. Yeah, it's always been easy to get people involved. Um, even with the first album, you know, it was kind of like this church fun pet project. And, you know, you approach a musician saying, hey, I really dig your sound. You know, would you lend a hand to this entire Psalms project? I mean, they're all like, yeah, that sounds awesome. So it's always awesome. been really easy to get musicians involved, um, especially friends, acquaintances, things like that. Um, as the project has gone on, when you get into album six and seven and all that, you know, um, it's kind of like, you know, you've kind of had had the experience. You've kind of, you know, been to the, you know, you've, you've kind of you've kind of been there, done that. So at this yeah. point, you know, you're, you're having to you're having to obviously, you know, pay people more or like make it more worth their while. Um, I definitely get a ton of people. I mean, every day I'm getting emails from people. I, I write some songs, too. And, you know, here's you need any vocalists or musicians, things like that. And it's resulted in a few connections, but most okay. of them um, just aren't a great fit for the project. You know, a lot of people, sure. I write some songs too, and they just sound nothing like ours. Or, you know, they, they you know, play guitar. It's like, I've already got like five awesome guitar players, but thanks right. for offering. You know what I mean? So, yeah. and also, obviously I've got the people I, I'm familiar with and work with. And, and honestly, like they're so good, it's hard to find someone better. Um, and if they're better, they're probably not begging to be on my project. So, uh, you know, we're in, a, we're in a good place with musicians is what I'm saying. Um, but definitely I get like tons of encouraging messages every day from people who are like, I love this. How can I be involved? And I'm like, you know, the very best way for people to support us and be involved is honestly to support us on Patreon because that's our biggest need. Um, like I said, we are full time. And the only thing keeping us going is, you know, listener support. We have hundreds of wow. people by God's grace worldwide who support us. But um, even our Patreon support only covers about 70% of our expenses. So the rest comes from streaming income, you know, merch sales, CD sales, things like that. So and by God's grace, we're paying our bills. But, um, you know, we have to run Kickstarter campaigns to make the album. So we're by no means in a, you know, I guess uh, we, we don't have a marketing machine behind us or a label behind us. You know, we're doing this just because people love it. And so that's the best for people to support us uh, because we're really not in a need for, for musicians. However, right. we're always looking for great vocalists. So if we can find the right fit for the right song, which is definitely a challenge, yeah. um, you know, we definitely take submissions from people. But yeah, I mean, outside of my friends and acquaintances, after 15 years, we've su- used surprisingly few outside musicians and vocalists outside of our little community, just because that's that's the way it's worked out. But I definitely get a lot of requests. So almost yeah, too I many imagine. sometimes. Every day sure. it's like, listening to six or 12 songs and just giving people a little feedback and encouragement. I mean, that's a lot of my morning sometimes. So, wow. Well, I mean, bless you for doing that just to, just to help other artists out that may feel like, Hey, I have this passion, but I'm not sure even where to start. I mean, uh, yeah. I would think that some people with, with as much as you've got going on, wouldn't even have 
the time or, or the energy to, to put that in, to listen to other folks and, uh, and give them feedback. I mean, that's, yeah. and that's a blessing too, um, that you do that. So good on you for doing that. Um, Thanks, man. what is it, uh, when you, when you are composing the song, um, mm-hmm. and, and you're working on a new song or, or, um, and you're trying to figure it out, and you, let's say you, you know that you have a certain sound in mind or, um, mm-hmm. you know, a certain, uh, way that you want it to sound, how much, how much creative freedom do some of the artists that work with you have, uh, when it comes to adding what they add, uh, and, um, and, and do you find it, is it easier, I guess, maybe if they have some creative freedom or a lot of creative freedom or do you kind of just have like, no, this is the way it needs to be? Because I think both would be fine, you know, because especially because mm-hmm. you're the the one kind of orchestrating, like the conductor of this. So it's like, right. well, that sounds great, but that really isn't my vision for the song. So are there any instances where you've had, um, uh, you know, oh, this sounds good, but I, it doesn't work? Or do you just kind of give give the artists uh, that ability to, to riff off and find something that works? Yeah, I really approach it like best idea wins. So okay. usually, I'll, at first, I'll kind of let them let them go uh, because obviously they're they're brilliant, creative musicians. So I'll kind of let them do their thing unless I hear something in particular. Like if I'm hearing something and this has got to be it, I will come to I will come to the session and say, "Here's your here's your sheet music. You know, this is what you're playing." And some people prefer that anyway. You know, because sure. I can imagine like being put in a studio, just play guitar, just have fun. You know, it's like, what do you want? You know, people want to, right. as, as we know, as employee, when you're an employee or you're a contractor or whatever, like you want really clear direction, like tell me exactly what you want and I'll do it. So I, if I hear something specific, I'll be like, this is play this, play this exact thing. Um, so I do write some parts. I write some of the, you know, string parts and horn parts and things like that. When I hear something, if I don't hear something, I'll just turn somebody loose and we'll just, keep the best takes and piece it together. So I do both. Um, there are definitely times in rehearsal, like during pre-production where we kind of get the band together and we try ideas out where I just say like, Nope, we're not doing that. <laughs> you know? So yeah. there's definitely, I've definitely got some musicians who have way too much of a, not too much. Sorry. I want to, they have a little bit of a jazz, um, a jazz, I'm going to call sure. it a problem. They have a jazz addiction. Let's put it that <laughs> way. So <laughs> they, everything turns into jazz at some point. It's like, okay, guys, because they're so brilliant. You know what I mean? They don't yeah. play by any rules, which is great. Like, I want that creativity, but we've right. got to, like, bring that in. And they've been working with me long it. enough yeah, to know. for sure. They've been working with me long enough to know, like, okay, that's not what Shane's going to want. But it's still fun to mess with him. You know, that's kind of how it goes in pre-production. But, yeah, usually if I don't have a vision, I'll just kind of turn somebody loose because – Hey, if I don't have a vision, then I don't really have the the license to tell you how to do your thing. So, right. um, and usually it turns out really well regardless. And so it is really nice too to not have to write all the parts. Just like throw the musicians in the room. Oh, that sounds great. Let's do that. You know, that, okay. I didn't have to. I didn't have to do anything. So that was great. Yeah. So, yeah. So only if I hear something do I tell someone like this is what you play. And with the vocalists, um, that's always like a give and take. You know, because vocalists uh, all have a different style. And so I'm like, yeah, I wrote this melody. I really like this melody. I'd like you to sing this melody. And then sometimes you just got to let a few things go like extra note or whatever. But sure. um, that's just like that, that, that tension, that give and take between, you know, the producer and the person who's bringing it to life, you know? So yeah. we just kind of walk that through and it's always gone really well. So. So how much of your, um, of your process is, getting together with the musicians in a, in a studio setting versus uh, and maybe some digital uh, help where you send off stuff and you say, Hey, send me back this. And then I'll add it into, you know, as I produce the record, is it, is it all together or do you, do you kind of, is it bits and pieces, you know, spread out? Yeah. When we have drums involved, it's really just kind of getting a core band together of like just, you know, four or five guys and we kind of hammer out the guts or the, the foundation of the arrangement. And then with the rest of the musicians, we'll bring them in later to, you know, we're adding this violin, we're adding this, you know, whatever. And uh, last couple albums actually I've taken to uh, using a producer more. So just, okay. I just record it at home to a metronome and then I'll just send my guitar and vocal demo to a producer and he'll just like, bam, here's the whole arrangement. And then I wow. just kind of, we, we tinker with it from there. And that's been really nice. Um, I mean, there's, there's positives and negatives to each process because, um, obviously it's much more time consuming to get with a band, but then you can be much more specific. 
Uh, but then sometimes the producer, like I said, he'll come up with something way better than I would have. So it's like, great, this is fantastic. Yeah. So, and there's so, there's such, such talented people. Um, it's amazing. So a lot, so much of this project is just me, you know, finding the right talented people to bring this stuff to life. Well, and that's, and again, I think it's a testament to you to be able to, um, have some humility to where it isn't just you putting all of these pieces together. Plus, I mean, you probably mm -hmm. would feel pretty overworked by having to do mm -hmm. all of it, but, but to really, to be kind of the spearhead of this. And, and again, the conductor kind of like, this is my vision. Mm -hmm. This is kind of what I see, but to be able to, to open it up and say, Hey, you know, let's, let's work this out together. Um, it, it gives them that creative freedom. Plus maybe it makes them feel like, even more so a part of the process because they're adding yep. their own personality yeah. to the song. Yep. Yeah. Empowered for sure. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Musicians definitely like, I mean, people just like to feel empowered, you know, like you're the expert, um, you know, you do your thing. Um, but then of course, you know, they like having a little bit of direction, but you know, when you empower people, that's when you get the very best, you know, the very best out of them is when you kind yeah, of say, absolutely. Hey, here's your hill. You go take this hill. I'll give you whatever you need to take the hill, but you go take this hill the way you want to take it. And that's, that's, that's been my leadership style and, and it really, it really does seem to work. So, and yeah, people keep saying yes. So, I mean, I must not be, I must not be scaring them too bad with, with how I do things. So, and I think I've gotten a little less, um, a little less, uh, what's the word for it? Obsessive compulsive over the years. Oh, sure. First couple out, first couple albums, it was like, you know, I was like very, like, I knew exactly what I wanted and now it's kind of like, oh yeah, it's all going to turn out great. You know? <laughs> so whatever. <laughs> I remember first time I was in the studio, the first song we were dialing up, uh, the engineer's like, what's the BPM for this song? I said, 101.7. Oh, wow. He turned around and looked at me like, what are you talking? What? No, we're just doing, <laughs> we're just doing 101. That's how we're going to, you know, so he just basically said, we're not doing that. Like, you're not going to go there. So anyway, so that's how, that's how I used to be. I've gotten better as he would say. So, um, wow, but yeah, that's it, fascinating. Yeah. Well, I had a, I, I had done it on my board. I dial it on my board. I'm like, this is the perfect tempo. It's 101.7. And, and you tried um, it and at just, you tried it at different tempos and it just didn't hit the way that you wanted it to. 101.8 was too fast. 101.6 wow. was too slow. Um, but he just looked at me like, nope, we're doing I think it was 102. He's like, nope, we're doing 102. I'm like, okay, <laughs> sure, sounds good. I guess I guess I did something that is like uh I mean, because he's like, you will not hear the difference. You will not. I'm like, I hear it. He's like, nope, no one's gonna hear the difference. So it was kind of just a funny thing, but um anyway, so yeah, that's um I've, I've gotten over the years, it's been easier and easier just to like settle into this rhythm with people yeah. making this music. And uh, yeah, I mean, I really do feel like it's this whole thing. The Psalms project is just a gift from the Lord. And so it's not for me to hoard. It's not for me to try to control. Um, it's for me to, to lead and steward. And I think that's a really powerful thing when, um, you know, you've probably heard this It's kind of a Christianese phrase, but I think it's true is that God doesn't um, call the equipped. He equips the called. Amen. And I think yeah. he's somebody he I'm somebody he's called and he's equipped me with what I need, but he's equipped me to the point where I need lots of help from other brothers and sisters and I can't do it on my own. And that's a real blessing to be able to, you know, kind of like God touched Jacob's hip so that Jacob would have to have this dependence on God for his whole life. And I really have had to depend on the Lord for this to happen because I can't just make this happen on my own at the level it's happening. Like I've got to right. depend on him. And so that's been a real blessing to be able to realize that this is really not something I can control. It's not something I can. Um, yeah. I, it's not something where if I, I could, if I get a few steps ahead of God, it's going to work better. It, it really wouldn't. And so I think right. that's a real blessing. Yeah. Well, well that kind of leads into to my next question really was going to be, what do you, what your has been your greatest takeaway over the course of the last, I mean, since you began the project, uh, what has the Lord kind of um, sifted in you to make mm. you who you are today over over this this whole thing? Mm. Yeah, man, lots of things. Um, I've definitely matured in my understanding of God's sovereignty. Mm. I think when I started this thing, um, I still kind of had that idea. I, I guess in, in a lot of ways, to sum it up, it's made me a lot more reformed. <laughs> mm. I'm not sure I was really, I mean, I was Calvinist, I think, when I started this sure. thing, but I, I don't think I really had a grasp of God's sovereignty in all aspects of life. And when you read the Psalms, I mean, God's sovereignty is all over the Psalms. Oh, yeah. And just the dependence that David had on God, it, you can't help but but humble you. 
And so just realizing that God does not put anything into our lives that is not for our good and for his glory. Like that has really, that has really helped me to see life through a different lens. Cause I think I used to have this idea that a lot of Christians have that if something happens, it's like, God was like, Oh, like that was the devil or like, you know, God had no control over that or like, whoops, you know, like, I guess, I guess something bad happened. God's got to fix it now. It's like, no, this happened for God's glory and for our good. And just understanding that he ordains all things and seeing it through that lens. Cause David clearly saw it through that lens. Yeah. You know, um, like a, and this wasn't a David Psalm, but just for an example, like, like verses like this would just hit me like a ton of bricks, like Psalm 42, um, where he says, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. Like these aren't just like random waves and breakers that are, that are running over him and just drowning him. These are God's waves and breakers that he's sending to just pummel him for, for disciplinary purposes. It's like, I would see things like that over and over again. And it's just so obvious, like, um, that this is what's going on. And also just, again, David's confidence. I think the Psalms definitely made me more and more post-mill. Honestly, think I was post-mill before the Psalms project. I didn't really understand eschatology, honestly. Like I was, I'd never studied it yet. But going through the Psalms, I think I just kind of assumed it because it's all over it. And then when I heard about post-millennialism, I was like, oh, yeah, like that's the one, you know, that's the one I see in the the Psalms. Yeah, Yeah, because you read the Psalms and there's just no sense whatsoever that the wicked prosper for any kind of significant length of time. And there's also no sense of we lose down here. Like there is none of that. Like when David's losing, his tone is almost like, "Uh, God, this isn't this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Like, no, like the righteous are supposed to flourish and the wicked are supposed to be judged and put down because that's what you told us in your covenant. And when you understand that that covenant is not just a David covenant, it's not like during the old Testament times, you know, God said to David, like, okay, you're going to walk in victory if you walk in my ways, but then a time's going to come where no matter what you do, like the wicked are just going to run roughshod. Like that's, <laughs> yeah, that's not, no, that doesn't, that doesn't work. And we don't see that the new Testament ever saying, Hey guys, it used to be that, you know, if you were righteous, then, you know, we would prosper, you know, materially and politically and all these things. Well, that's kind of gone now and things are just going to go bad regardless. Like, no, that's right. just, why would, why would that stop? Why would God suddenly, and even if he did, you'd think he would make that clear, but you know, you can say like, oh, First Timothy 3 says in the last days, all this bad stuff's going to happen. Well, if you keep reading that chapter, it's actually an optimistic chapter because if you keep mm-hmm. reading down in verse 9, he says, um, but they will not get very far. You know, in the last days, all this wicked stuff will happen. But he says, but they won't get very far because their folly will be evident to all. That's how life works. And that's the biblical worldview yeah. is that foolishness doesn't really work in the long run. It really doesn't. And so um, post just sounded really natural to me because that's the sentiment you see all over the Psalms. And even in First Timothy 3, I'm kind of getting off track here with First Timothy, but... Um, oh, please, this is great, you know, man. This is wonderful. Well, the if you read that whole passage past the first couple of verses that say, in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, you can clearly see that Paul is talking to Timothy about contemporary issues. He's talking mm-hmm. about people robbing widows' houses and all these kinds of things. And think about it, like Paul's writing to Timothy. What's the purpose of this letter? The purpose of this letter is to prepare Timothy for what Timothy's going to face. Right. Why would he, he's not writing to Timothy saying, Hey, Timothy, here's what's going to go down in America in 2023. I want <laughs> you to be ready for it. You know what I mean? He's yes. talking about like, Hey, in the last days, which again, how does the Bible define the last days? Right. The Bible defines the last days as the times in which the, the apostles were living, you know, the last days of the old covenant. That would be the, the preterist post mill view, yep. which makes a lot more sense. So, Timothy is Paul's telling Timothy, this is what you're going to experience and don't worry about it. <laughs> you know, Amen. it's not a prediction. It's, it's not a summary of our current times. That doesn't make right. any sense on any level. So um, the Psalms have definitely made me more just optimistic because here's another thing. Obviously, like almost every Psalm ends optimistically. Like I said, Psalm 88 is about the only exception where it ends with like, you know, there's only darkness, you know, and that's the end. Yeah. But like all the like other ones. Solomon all of a sudden, you're like, wait a second. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's very Ecclesiastic, but like pretty much every one of them doesn't matter what's happening, what David's facing. I mean, he's in some intense pain in some of these Psalms. Psalm 55. 
I mean, he's saying horror overwhelms me. You know, he's in some deep, deep pain. Uh, mm-hmm. Psalm 109, deep, deep pain. Obviously, Psalm 137, that's some deep, deep pain, you know, that they're talking about. And almost always the Psalms turn out joyous at the very end. At the end, it's optimism. It's this is what's going to happen. God's going to deliver the righteous. He's going to bring justice. He's going to right the situation and we're going to worship him. And if you look at the structure of the the book of Psalms itself, and a lot of people don't talk about this, but, you know, obviously the Psalms are structured into five books, you know, book one, book two, three, four, five. And there's a lot of speculation, obviously, about, you know, why they're structured the way they are. And I don't know if there's like a super right answer because, you know, it's, it's hard to really, it doesn't really fall in neat categories, but I think you do see a progression in there. And some have said that the five books of Psalms, and I don't know if this is true, but it mirrors the five books of the, the Pentateuch. Oh, Maybe, I okay. don't know. Maybe. But um, the idea being, look at, um, if you look at the progression of Psalms, like Psalms 1 through 41, lots of lament, um, lots of lament Psalms. Of course, it opens with Psalm 1, which is significant, which is kind of like the two paths of life, right? Mm-hmm. There's the two ways you can go. Psalm 2 is obviously about the Messiah and his kingdom. By the way, Psalm 2, super post-mill Psalm, obviously. And then you get into all these, you know, strong struggle and lament. Kind of the same thing in the second round of Psalms, except at the end of book two, you get Psalm 72, which is kind of like this passing of the torch from David to Solomon, right? Okay. Psalm 72 is at the end of David's life, and he's giving Solomon instructions, saying like, you know, follow righteousness, follow the word of the Lord, stuff like that. You know, he's kind of given these last instructions to Solomon before he dies. And then you get into Psalm, uh, books three and four. Things get a little darker, um, maybe possibly mirroring like the post-David, you know, exiles and and wickedness and kings and stuff like that. But then you get the final section of Psalms, which is what we call the Hallelujah Psalms. Um, That's where the Psalms end. And the Psalms end ultimately with 150, which is just all praise, all praise. And I think there's significance in that. And I think Mm. this is the idea. I think the significance is our destiny is worship, our ultimate destiny. You know, when all is said and done, when all the stories told, it ends with worship. So you see that within individual Psalms, like everything tends toward worship. That's our destiny. That's the inevitable outcome of all this. And that's also the inevitable outcome and the destiny of the book of Psalms. It ends with praise. It ends with worship. And actually, interestingly, um, in Hebrew, like the Hebrews, their name, their name for the book of Psalms was not Psalms. That's not what they called it. Uh, For the Hebrews, the book of Psalms is called Tehillim, which is praises. Okay. So the, the name of the book is literally praises, the Hebrew okay. name of the book. Um, yeah. We get Psalms from the Greek. Uh, Greek is, It's a Greek word for song. And so we've called it the Psalms, but the Hebrews called it praises. So that is the purpose. That is the end goal. That is the ultimate message of the Psalms is that worship is your destiny. Wow. Well, I don't know if you're much of a, of a writer outside of writing music, but uh, I, I think you, you have a very compelling case of eschatology, specifically post-mill eschatology through the Psalms. Um, Thanks, man. That, would be, that. that would be an incredible um, uh, uh, piece to write, to put together where, I mean, especially somebody, someone like you who really is devoting so much of your life to um, understanding, to processing the Psalms. Um, mm-hmm. and, and really, I mean, it's kind of like, I think everything that you've said makes me think of how an actor... That especially like a method actor, when they get into a role, um, they really kind of dive in and they, they really never abandon that role until, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, until the uh, until the movie or the show is over. Um, it, it sounds like you have really uh, you 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 dove in and in order mm-hmm. to grasp the uh, the fullness of these psalms, you really have kind of put yourself into these positions mm-hmm. to feel the pains and the praises. So. Uh, I mean, what a, um, there, I, I don't think the Lord is going to be done with you, uh, on the Psalms, uh, even after you're done with the, the complete volume of all, uh, 150. So, um, mm-hmm. definitely something to think about in the future. And if you do write a book, you got to at least throw like a shout out to me about that. 
<laughs> sure, man. Yeah, no, you can you can do the forward, you know. So I mean, praise God. I'm not I'm not sure who I can. I'm not sure I'm not sure who else I could get to do the forward. So if you want to do it, you can do it, man. Job's yours. So well, praise, um, praise God. No, yeah. I I appreciate I appreciate that, man. I feel like I'm pretty new to the whole eschatology thing. In fact, like mm. I'm kind of coming out as post mill with this interview. I did one with Joel Webin uh, a few weeks back. Yeah, but like not a lot of my fans know. I'm trying not to make a big deal of it with my fans sure. because obviously, you know. We shouldn't divide over eschatology. It, and, you and should it's, not. It's, Absolutely. And and they're all orthodox. But I do know that, you know, it does deeply. And don't, I know it deeply bothers some people one way or the other, whether, you yeah. know, on, on both on all sides of the argument, you know, it can be oh, yeah. a sticking point. So so I'm trying to walk that just kind of like, you know, being honest about where I'm at, but also, you know, being gracious about, you know, letting people hold their convictions as long as they're orthodox, you know. So, yeah, well, but I mean, um, people are going to. I mean, I, I was a pre-mill guy for it. And in fact, I got saved through the Left Behind series when I was 21. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I thought that was the only option towards the end times. I didn't know that there were right. other views. So, um, yep. and I held very dear to that. And I would be very, um, I'd get flustered when people would talk about other views because I'd be like, how, you know, you, you, you don't believe the Bible and stuff. And I, I mm -hmm. do think it's a natural, like people... If they're growing in Christ, if they if they rem they're remaining steadfast in the Word, you know you're not going to hold mm -hmm. to the same theology and eschatology that you did when you first got saved. Not if you're not if you're diving in. I mean, there's an infinite amount of information to be to be consumed. I mean, how could you yeah. how could you stay the same for you know in Christ for so many years that that would negate sanctification if you think about it. I mean, yeah. you've got to change. You got to be different. Mm -hmm. You got to be uh, so. You know, and my prayer is, and I, I would hope anybody listening to this that would hear that uh, would really just um, would take a step back and realize, like, it's not a, it's not an issue to divide on. It's mm -hmm. it's not something that you break fellowship over. It it can be a fun conversation, but really, the reality is, is no one knows. The yeah, Lord may do it very differently, and we especially don't know the you know the day or the hour. So we may know right. some some things of what he he pro we know what his promises are. We know he's coming back. Uh, we know that he's going to bring his church to be with him, and we're gonna we're gonna That's have right. a wedding feast with the Lord. Um, mm -hmm. If that happens in ten thousand years, praise God. If it happens tomorrow, praise God. I mean, yeah. I, I I often say uh, if we get raptured, I'm gonna high five the Christian right next to me going up to be with the Lord. I'm not gonna yeah. co be complaining that it didn't happen the way I wanted it to. Yeah. So, Amen. Um, yeah. yeah. So. Um, well, I don't want to keep you for too much longer, but let me just give you the floor if there's anything else that you'd like to mention or talk about. Uh, and of course, I would like you to um, please promote your Patreon and ways that people can support you again uh, so that people listening to this that feel compelled to do so will will have an opportunity to do that. Yeah, thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I would just say that um, if you're interested in what we're doing and you want to hear the music, uh, you can find us again on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, uh, Pandora, pretty much anywhere music's online. Uh, artist name, The Psalms Project. And uh, that's how you can find us. Or you can go to thepsalmsproject.com, which is a pretty simple URL. And then you can know that it's us because I know there's lots of Psalms projects out there doing various things. So we do have some kind of some brand confusion from now and then and uh, now and then. And then also our Patreon is definitely the best way to support us. Uh, so I'll give my quick Patreon pitch. It's patreon.com slash the Psalms Project Music, the Psalms Project Music. Um, and maybe we could put that link in the you know description or in the comments or something Absolutely. like that. But patreon.com slash the Psalms Project Music. And what's great about Patreon is I put content on there that no one else gets to see. So I share all the brand new songs. Uh, so if I write a new song, I share it with the patrons right away. They give feedback on it. So you kind of get to be part of the process. Um, I share each song as soon as it leaves the studio. As soon as I've got a studio version, I share that with the patrons. So you're getting to wow. hear the music literally months, years before other people do sometimes. That's incredible. And I also do a private uh, live stream for my patrons every month where I share new songs and we just hang out. And so it's kind of a way to be, to be a bigger part of what we're doing and just to show support. Because again, um, we've, uh, we've done 46, 48, we've recorded 48 full psalms so far we've done a few like alternate versions but 48 full psalms so we're not even a third of the way through as far as recording goes mm, wow. and um each album takes around uh 20 dollars uh to record to pay all the musicians and the engineers because we're doing it again at a very very high level or trying to so uh you can just imagine how many more psalms there are to do and how much you know capital that takes 
But uh, again, we believe this is uh, of the Lord. He's been supporting it and behind it. And every time I put this project on the altar, it just keeps on, keeps on going and it keeps on uh, finding what it needs to move forward. And I believe that Christians need good music to listen to. Uh, we need biblical worship music. We need music that's rooted in the scriptures because we can believe how many messages I get from people who say, man, like I've read this song before. And then I listened to this song and man, I get it now. I get it. Wow. And that's the whole Praise idea. God. Well, cause I'm kind of a teacher at heart, you know, and I think that was kind of my heart behind it when I started, you know, I was a teacher by trade. So I'm thinking, you know, cause songs can be great teaching tools yes. and not just to, not just to memorize because often people think of memorizing, but no, to really experience it. And, um, so when, uh, when I was putting these Psalms to music, I'm really thinking, okay, how can I sing this next section so that people get it they're, they're They understand the emotion and they understand exactly where he's coming from. Wow. Um, that's what I really want is people to experience that. So it's really rewarding to see people say, man, I feel like I'm really understanding the Psalms and internalizing them better. It's almost like a mini, like, it's like almost like a short musical mini sermon, you know, is the way I look at it because oh, sure. we're, we're, we're expounding the word, you know? Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my pitch. That's where you can go listen to us and support us on Patreon. If that, if you feel so moved to do so. Uh, one other thing, I also go live on YouTube and Facebook uh, on the first Thursday of every month. So I do a okay. public live stream. So that's a place where you can interact with us and you can also donate, make a one-time donation there on the project if you want. Cool. Um, but uh, it's a place where you can just come and just listen to someone sing psalms and worship in the spirit and, uh, and fellowship in the Lord. Praise God. Well, all right. One final question then. What is your favorite song? that you have recorded so far, your favorite psalm, that if you could only pick one to to capitalize on your vision of this project, which one is it? I was going to say, can I pick the, can I pick three? Can I pick, like, if I only had to pick three or pick five or something like that. Um, give me, you can yeah. give me three, man. That's totally fine. Okay. I was going to say, like, yeah, what are the, come on, man. What are the rules here? I mean, um, I think uh, some of the best psalms we've done, I think would be like uh, 46, uh, 34, okay. Um, 29 is another favorite. 39 is pro one of the best songs we've ever done. Uh, and it's okay. not a popular Psalm. I bet nobody can quote a verse from Psalm 39, but it turned out great. It's a, it's a powerful Psalm. I love go listen to that right after this. I'm going to go check yes, it out for sure. <laughs> I, I would check out Psalm 39. It will not be what you expect. It will not sound like Christian radio. I can guarantee you that. So, um, and I love Psalm 40 because that's my testimony. And I sang that one myself. So that one was very special to me. We worked really hard on that. It's very uplifting. Um, I love that song. Um, those are some of my off the top of my head favorites. And I think Psalm 18 is actually one of the best songs we've ever done because uh, it's all 50 verses. It's 13 minutes long. And I feel like it doesn't feel like uh, 13 minutes long. Yeah. It's just such a wonderful story. Um, it's like a story from beginning to end. It's kind of like praise. Then David kind of goes in the backstory. Here's what was going on. You know, the earth shook and trembled and the foundations of the, the earth quaked. And he talks about his deliverance. And then he gets to the end and he's just worshiping. He's kind of telling the story of how God delivered him from Saul in Psalm 18. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful uh, psalm and song. I love how it how it turned out, um, the song itself. So um, those would be the ones I would, you know, go listen to maybe first. I'm like, which one? Oh, yeah, 25 turned out great, too. There's so many there's there's so many good ones that turned out great. Yeah. So it'd be easier for me to tell you, like, the five or six that, like, ah, oh, I think I could have done those better, you know? That's That'd like be asking easier. what your favorite child is, right? It's like, no, I love them yeah. all equally. <laughs> kind of, yeah, kind of. I just like I hanging mean, out with some of them more than I do the others. <laughs> that's true. There's some, that I, there's some that I enjoy listening to over and over again, and there's some yeah. I haven't listened to for years. Not that I don't yeah. like those. It's just um, they just don't hit the same for me, yeah. you know? And they'll... But hit hit different for different people. You never know. So Amen. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Well, Shane Heilman, uh, it has been just a, a blessing and a pleasure to have you uh on the show. I really uh I'm I'm hoping and praying for for your calling and as you're moving forward that the Lord would continue to provide for you and uh can mm -hmm. continue to give you wisdom to put uh, his words to music. And that's a, that's a high calling. And it's definitely something yeah. that I think you take very seriously with a lot of passion. So um, yeah. God bless you, brother. Um, please don't leave right. I'm going to close this out. Don't leave right away. Cause it's got to finish uploading, but uh, stick All around. Man. And uh, again, pleasure to have you here, man. God bless you, bro. Yeah. Same Drew. Thanks for having me, man. Appreciate it, brother. Amen.